This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where personal spiritual growth is fueled through a variety of practices rather than a single prescriptive time of devotion, where we discuss different spiritual practices that help us be more present with God, others, and ourselves. What's going on, practitioners? What's up? How we doing? Oh, it is 1045. On a Sunday night. On a Sunday night. We both got work tomorrow. And I still got to edit. Tomorrow's a closer look when we finish. We're going to get there. We got it. We're going to get there. So, we're starting a new series, though. Yeah. And this a is week a, late. A week late. A yeah, week late. A week late. Uh, now and ran a little bit long, but it's okay. Yep. Um, we're starting an Advent series in relation to spiritual discipline. Um, so we're going to talk about first, what is Advent? Yes. So, Cullen, what is Advent? Why do I got to be the one to answer? Well, I mean, <laughs> you're going to have a way more detailed, like, historical, like, nerdy explanation. I'll be like, oh, it's the time that we take to celebrate Jesus' birth. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not even about Jesus' birth. It, it's, it's really not, if you look at it. Um, it. So Advent actually started, Advent, the word comes from the Latin word Adventus, mm. which is actually the Latin Vulgate's translation of the Greek word Perusia. Nerdy explanation. <laughs> Point proven. <laughs> and Perusia is the word used in the Greek New Testament for the second coming of Jesus. Yeah. So if you didn't know, the, the ultimate truth of the Christian faith is that Jesus came, God became incarnate, and lived on earth with us, died for us, and yet somehow was victorious over death. Mm. Now notice, that's the beauty of, excuse me, that's the beauty of the story, because from the onset of Genesis chapter 2, the tension that we're given is that if Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they will surely die. Yeah. Sin, the word sin is not even introduced in that chapter. The battle here is against death. Mm-hmm. Jesus is victorious over death, and the proof of that victory is actually not just in the resurrection. The resurrection is a truth of that death because he conquers the act of death. Right. But the seal that is stamped on that, um, yeah, it. I'm debating whether or not the seal is the best metaphor here. If I change my mind as we walk through it, I reserve that right. Um, but the seal that I think it's stamped on the truth of the victory over death is actually in the ascension. Hmm. The ascension matters because he doesn't yeah. ever die again. Right. So like 
the only experience of death he actually conquered and never died. I can see that. That's why I say all the other experiences of quote-unquote resurrection that people say in the Bible aren't resurrections. Right. They're resuscitations. Right. Because those people go on to die again. And then for people like Enoch and Elijah, they never experienced death. Right. They just ascended. And so in Jesus' ascension, what we're promised is a second coming, a time when Jesus will come back to earth and reconcile all of creation Unto himself. That's the coming we're talking about when we talk about Perusia and Advent. Mm. Now, I want to go ahead and make a theological clarification here before we continue on the Advent conversation. Okay. One of the ways in which this idea has been communicated in evangelical traditions is through a theology of the rapture. This is uniquely an American thing. Okay. Rapture comes from the Latin word raptura, Mm -hmm. which is actually the word used to translate parousia. Advent doesn't start until the Latin age of the church. And so they just use Advent, which is the common word for coming. Mm. But in the actual Latin Vulgate, the word that is used in the Thessalonian literature to replace the word parousia, coming, in Greek is raptura. And raptura means to snatch. Like this kind of violent, aggressive pulling out of something. That's the proof text for the rapture. Mm. Um, And in that proof text, once again, I say it's a uniquely American thing. Right. Nobody else except Americans or people that Americans have reached believe this. And it was made famous by Dwight L. Moody. Mm. D.L. Moody. I hate that metaphor. I don't. I don't think there's anything good about it. Um, I think it's escapism. I. I don't think it's the message of the New Testament, um, and I don't think it's what it means. Rapture theology is uniquely attributed and connected to premillennial eschatology. Eschatology. Yeah. So what that means is that the world is going to hell. Satan's going to reign on earth for a while, mm-hmm. and God's going to keep his people from experiencing that trauma by pulling them out and letting the world go to hell in a handbasket, literally, mm-hmm. until God fixes it all. Right. That's a terrible metaphor. I don't think it's helpful. That's what you get when you use raptura as the basis of your theology for that verse. When you use parousia, there's a very different metaphor. Do you know what the metaphor of parousia is, Clayton? I do not. 
The metaphor for parousia is that parousia is the word that is used for when a king comes home from conquering a battle. A king returns victorious from a major battle of a people group. Yeah. And when he comes home, the people, the citizens of the city, look out on the horizon and see the king and his army coming home. They see him arriving, and so they run and meet him outside the city gates and usher him home in an act of honor for what he has done, for the victory that he's brought to his people. Yeah. That is a much more beautiful metaphor yeah. than this idea of this violent snatching of which God is going to protect some of his people and yet let the rest of them suffer. When you think about Advent, I don't think you should be thinking anything close to a rapture theology. Because if you do, you're going to miss the beauty of Advent. Do people really think about it that way? Oh, yeah. I think there are people that think about Advent through the terms of their eschatology. And mm-hmm. for most American low church evangelical Christians, their mm-hmm. eschatology is rapture theology. Because mm. the whole idea is it's the coming of Jesus. Right. It's the right. coming of Jesus to come back to make all things new. And a huge piece of that for them is actually letting hell, like the world go to hell in a handbasket. Mm. Like that actually is a requirement yeah. in order to have rapture theology. Right. Huh. I guess I, I guess I just never would have thought about it that way. Yeah. But okay. So I don't, I don't want anyone to be thinking about it that way. I don't think that's helpful. But what I do think is extremely helpful is the idea of thinking about Advent, having your heart in anticipation of the coming of Christ. Now, to your point about some nerdy theological answer. So none of this up to this point has been a nerdy theological answer? (laughs) I'm I'm gonna bite my tongue. I'm gonna bite my tongue. Okay. (laughs) Quit looking at me, Swan. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm done. Okay. I'm done. (laughs) This guy. Who brought this guy? (laughs) I'm done. No, the nerdy theological answer is actually that when Advent was first celebrated, um, it was connected to Easter. Right. Because the whole thing is not actually, originally it wasn't about the first coming of Christ. Right. It was always about the second coming. And so it felt more appropriate to put it with Easter. Right. But putting Advent alongside Easter with Pentecost right after and Lent right before the church just kind of decided it, it wasn't the most helpful of meditative practices and oh, so close to yeah, hard yeah. alignment kind of in that way. And so they moved it yeah, later in the year and connected it to Jesus's first coming right. so that we could have an entire season dedicated to the comings mm-hmm. of Christ. Right. And so Advent is... 
It's actually not so much about his birth. I mean, obviously, the birth narrative is important. Sure. Because we don't get the cross and resurrection narrative without the birth narrative. Right. And so there's definitely a piece, like, it can't be overlooked and it can't be minimized. But Advent's really about preparing your heart for the second coming. Of course, yeah. For, yeah. What, for what it means that God is a restorer of his people and coming back with a promise to reconcile the world to himself. Yeah. I can't remember the actual language for this, but in the Catholic tradition, um, Advent is a time um, to receive grace. Uh, it's a time of penance. Really? Mm -hmm. How so? And the, in the way that you just said, to prepare your heart for the coming. Yeah. Right? Mm. Um, it is a time for you... You must... It is a dedicated set time to become a more like God, to become more like Jesus, mm. to be prepared for um, that second coming. Yeah, that that's how your heart should be. Now, that, uh, how they do it, that's a very Catholic way of doing it, but I don't think that they're wrong in what they're trying to do at all. No, not, um, I mean, no, not at all. I would not do it that way, but... Now, also, you realize that Advent arose out of their tradition, not ours, right? <laughs> so, like, we but, stole it from them. It, but the Protestant Reformation happened, mm -hmm. right? So, it, it is their tradition that has been now reformed. <laughs> Correct. Right, so, um, I would not do it that way, but um, the idea of making a dedicated season to prepare yourself for that coming, I don't think is, I think that's fantastic, right? And that's something that largely evangelicalism has missed. Um, or at least in our traditions, we just don't do a good job of it. Um, I mean, how many times do you remember growing up ever celebrating Advent for what it's supposed to be. I, we didn't we didn't do Advent in any of the churches we grew up in. No. Exactly. That's my point. I don't even I was gonna ask you this. Do you ever remember going to at one of the churches that we grew up in, going to a Christmas Eve service? Mm -hmm. I don't for some reason I don't remember that. Yeah. Which church did Christmas Eve services? Um, the one from our early childhood or the second childhood? I think both. I don't think we went to the one from early childhood. I think it was the second one that we would go to more frequently. But yeah. I don't remember because when we were doing that, that's when we started our own Christmas Eve traditions of doing the worship service because we were all so musicians. In the early days, they were more common than in the, in the later days. I'm going to ask mom and dad about this. Yeah, I'm pretty, um, I remember going to Christmas Eve services. But also. I, 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 whenever I was first learning guitar, I played in one of those. I wonder if that was a one-off. I don't remember that being an every year thing. Hmm. Maybe, I don't know. Like, I, I will. you've got me questioning. I will release a special Christmas Eve. Right. Like service this year. Um, 
I don't remember that being an every year thing. Hmm. I'm going to ask mom and dad. I also want to know if in the tradition that you grew up in, listener, did did y'all have Christmas Eve services every year? And if you did, what did you feel like you left with? What what was the motive for that Christmas Eve service? Hmm. Because I often find, and and I've done two different Christmas Eve services now, I even find myself struggling with this balance of making sure that the Christmas Eve service is actually in alignment with the truth of Advent. Right. Because it's very easy to make it about 8.3 ounce little baby Jesus. (laughs) That was very specific. 8.3 ounces. Very, very specific. Uh, That's from a movie. Um I can't remember what movie now though. Eight point three little baby Jesus weighing in at eight point three ounces. Yeah, eight pounds and three ounces. Yeah. Yeah, never heard that. Eight eight point eight pounds and three ounces, little baby Jesus. Um Interesting. Listener, if you know, please like comment because I can't remember what movie that is. And if my number is wrong, uh I think Will Farrell's in that movie. Okay. Continue. Yeah. Anyways, um, so the kind of history of Advent, if you're looking to put it in like a church history element. Um, Which is very important to the conversation of Advent, too. Well, because you got to know how long it's been in existence. Right. You got to understand this is a long standing tradition and practice. Um, we don't actually know when it started, but. We have writings by the year of 480 mm-hmm. that are talking about Advent in a universally accepted way in the form that we're talking about it now. Yeah. So definitely, I think it's um, the Council of the Council of Tours in 567 was the was the council that dictated what monks had to do in the month of December for Advent. Hmm. So definitely before 600, Advent's a universally accepted thing. Right. So if you think about this, okay, we don't get the first letter of Paul until the early 50s. The New Testament is completed roughly, give or take, by the year 100. People are unsure 100% of when Revelation was written. Some people even push it out to 120. Um, I don't. I don't think that's super helpful. I don't think it's that late, but I don't think it's as early as some other. Like some people want to put it like in like 75, and I'm like, no, it's definitely somewhere between 90 or 100 in my in my kind of construct. Mm-hmm. But and then you get the Didache, which is the teachings, right? The things that Christians do from the patristic literature, the the, <coughs> the apostolic fathers, about 110, 120, right. give or take, roughly. So the church actually doesn't really start kind of its, its official capacity and the way that it becomes what it is today until about 100. Mm. I mean, they're going about setting up churches. They have the Jerusalem Council during Paul's lifetime, like, all of these, like all of that's happening, but like really, it's about a hundred that this thing kind of starts to take form into something 
that actually can happen. 300, roughly, give or take, early 300s is the Council of Nicaea. So pretty early in the church's existence, I mean, literally less than less than 300 years or less than 400 years, mm-hmm. Advent becomes a thing. Yeah. And we're at 2021 now. Yeah. So kind of a big deal. Advent's been around for the majority of the Christian tradition. Yeah. Um, kind of really important. Yeah. And unfortunately... I think a lot in a lot of our low church evangelical Western cultures, mm. we've lost. We've missed idea. it. We've and we've missed the beauty of it. Yeah. Um, I don't ever remember doing Advent wreaths, Advent candles. No, that, um, that's something that I've started a yep. tradition of um, because I think it. I think it's helpful. Um, I don't even remember lighting the the Advent candles in church services. Never. Yeah, I don't remember that ever. Like we we did not go to there there might be a candlelight service. But but we didn't light the candles no. of Advent. Uh uh-uh. uh. <coughs> nope. I we, didn't I didn't know how to do that until I started becoming I didn't even know that was a thing until I started becoming more involved with the Catholic Church. Yeah. Because, I didn't I didn't even know that, that was a thing. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's a fault of evangelicalism because because I think so much about evangelicalism is anti-culture, but we yeah. evangelicals like are so anti-Catholic. Oh yeah, and so they did. They wanted to abandon. That's why we don't do Lent, mm-hmm. yeah. which also bothers me. But <laughs> Lent also really big deal. <laughs> like, yeah, also also really big deal. Kind of a thing before Advent. Like yeah. Lent is a really big deal. Um. Advent is a time for you to focus your mind on the truth of the fact that no matter what, you are loved and God is in the business of restoration and is on a track and has a plan of how he intends to restore the world back to himself.